Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. There's a theme developing this morning. If you haven't seen it, I didn't know it was coming. Um, Tammy and I, Pastor Tammy and I, don't necessarily coordinate super closely about what's going to be happening thematically. I have an idea where she's going. She has an idea where I'm going. But it, it's coming very clear. We leave it to God in many, many instances. There's this idea of the promises of God um, and the, the inside the mess of life. Right, the promises of God inside the, the storms of life. And the storms are all different, right? Everybody's got them. There's no question about that. I, I, just this morning, I was walking through the foyer and asked somebody, hey, how, how's your family? And, and she said, we, we all have our stuff. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's, the right, that's exactly right. We all have our stuff, and our stuff is unique. And it doesn't matter how, how young you are, how old you are, right? A two-year-old has storms, right? A two-year-old has storms. can't find the toy, uh, they, they, they lost track of mom for an extended period of time. That's a big honking storm. That storm is different from a 20-year-old storm or a 40-year-old storm. Or three, but we all have these uh, storms. I remember them in my own life. I can think back through the different storms, uh, even when I was young. But within the midst of that storm, and I know that this isn't true for, for everybody, uh, I could always go home. If I, was, if I was rejected in some way or abandoned in some way by a friend or a peer group, if the, the event didn't go well, the uh, academics were... <laughs> yeah, uh, and someone was trying to tell me how insufficient I was or uh, uh, undervalued I, they would make me feel, I always knew I could go home. And when I went home, I knew who I truly was. I knew what my value was. It's a special privilege to, to be able to live in that space. Every now and then a news uh, uh, story will, will come up and uh, tragic as it may be, uh, obvious times about uh, some young man who has uh, committed some violent crime, maybe, maybe a series of crimes, and he's, he's been convicted. And the mother is part of the story. And she's got the podium and she is exclaiming how her son has been maybe unjustly treated or in some way uh, his innocence has been overlooked. Uh, she pays no attention to the preponderance of evidence uh, against him. And my instinctive thought is, oh, well, this is exactly why he's in the position he's in, because you continue to enable this kid. You don't bring any consequences to his life at all. But as I'm looking through Mark chapter 13, where we're going today, it started to dawn on me that that mother may provide the only space where that young man, as misguided and maybe wrong as his life may be, can return and be fully accepted and fully loved. Maybe the only person. And she knows if she's not there for him, no one will be. There is no place. I remember uh, listening to Pastor Dan, a friend of mine, a partner of ours, uh, church planter and pastor in Bungoma, Kenya. And he was introducing his mentor who was going to speak to uh, all of the pastors of that um, African church uh, and some guests like myself that were there. And as he was introducing the bishop, he said this as his final comment. He said, if everyone should turn their back on him, I will be by his side. What a wonderful thing to hear somebody say about you. That if everybody should turn, turn their back, I will be there. 
no questions asked. An unconditional statement of love and support and warmth. Where do you go when the storm comes? Where do you go when the wheels start to come off? Who do you go to for protection when the threats emerge? What we see in the, in the chapter of uh, 13 in the book of Mark is Jesus letting us know that there is an unavoidable catastrophic storm on its way. But within it, there is an inexplicable place of peace. We're going to cover the whole book of, the, the, whole, the whole chapter, 13, Mark 13. We only have a couple weeks to finish the book of Mark, which we've been working on for a decade. So we've got to start taking chapters at a time. We've got to knock a few out. So we're going to look through Mark chapter 13. And I want you to see, among other, among other things, this promise of Jesus that the, there is this place of peace in the coming storm. So they're leaving the temple, right? He and his disciples have been there for some kind of a, a service. And the disciples say to him, look, teacher, what massive stones. Look at the magnificent buildings. Now, I don't know what compelled the disciple to suddenly, after having walked in and out of the temple, probably thousands of times, maybe dozens, possibly hundreds of times, with Jesus to say to him, look at how amazing the temple building is. Where my imagination goes is that they are coming to grips with and starting to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was sent by God and that he was God himself. And so I wonder, I wonder if the disciples are saying, look what we've done down here. Look at, the, look at the human ingenuity and engineering that has come to be. Look at how we have done this beautiful thing. Isn't that, do you approve? Look at, look at what we've done. Jesus responds with, you see those great buildings? You see them? This is Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This is a major buzzkill right here. Like, you know, hey, look at how great the buildings. You know what? They're going to be leveled. Good point. Look at these buildings. They're going down. Okay. They travel up to the Mount of Olives, which is uh, across from the temple. So now they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and possibly looking across the valley, and they can see the temple. And Peter and James and John and Andrew take Jesus aside because they've been thinking about this ever since he said it. And privately they say to him, uh, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Those are good questions. Again, my, my opinion, my instinct is that they're a little worried. Right? You just heard that, the, that it's going to be leveled. Not one stone is going to lay on the other. So they're probably thinking, is there going to be a, you're going to tip us off so we can get out of the building? When should we run for the hills? What you're describing, will we see it coming and will we be prepared and how will we know how to keep ourselves safe from this thing? Is it going to be soon? Jesus says, well, as usual, he doesn't answer the question, at least not right away. Well, how, when? They say basically, when's this going to happen? And he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many are going to come in my name. They're going to come to you and they're going to they're going to say that they are of God, that they are the Messiah. And they're going to deceive a lot of people. 
when the storm comes, there are going to be people that are going to try to say what the truth is. And I need you to remember what I have taught you. You need to know what is true. You've got to hang on to what is true because you're going to be led astray. You're going to be tempted to be led astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. You can start to feel that place of peace coming right there. Wars, rumors of war, buildings crashing down. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, he says, but the end is still to come. Even Christians, by and large, when we think about the devastating storm of the end times, we think of it just like that, that it is the end. The end of the world. If there was a movie about what Jesus was describing, it would be something like the end of the world. And Jesus says, no, these things are going to happen, but the end is still to come. It's important for us to realize the storm, the, the, the ultimate storm or your storm is not the end in God's economy. It's not the end. It might feel like the end. It could The storm could be the end of your physical life, but in Jesus, it's not the end. The storm of this life in your life is never the end. Nation will rise again nation. He's not done. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. It's not just not the end. It's actually the beginning of a new thing. The cosmic storm in the future is the beginning of a new thing, a new place, a new world. And the storm of your life is not the end. It's the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of something new. In God's economy, it is the beginning of something new. And he says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. <laughs> it's getting personal now. Not just buildings aren't just going to come down. Not just earthquakes and wars and rumors out there. You personally, disciples, are going to be flogged in the very places that have been of God. The synagogues. The church itself. Those that claim to be godly will hurt you in these times. It's going to get very personal. He goes on. Brother will be... At this point, they've got to be just... They're, they're like, we just asked you when it was going to happen. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Is the storm the end? No. What she is saying, the one who stands firm through the storm, through the storm, they will be transformed. They will be given something they can otherwise not have. From the totality of Scripture, we understand stand firm to be a call to faith. Standing firm is to have faith, like the worship team has been saying, in what is true. 
Not from our own perspective, not from our own intellectual understanding, not from what we feel, but what we've been taught by Jesus. When we stand firm in who Jesus tells us God is and what He's done through the Son, we stand firm in the truth. To ride out the storm, to stand firm is to be faithful. In fact, the storm is precisely where faith is most deeply required and evident. Where there is no storm, you could argue, there is no need for faith. Faith comes alive in the storm. Because the storm says what? God is not here. God is not strong. God doesn't care. But those who have faith in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what they don't understand, in the midst of what's hard, in the midst of what seems like it's not good, standing firm says, oh yes, He is good. When you quit, when you bail out, when we lose our belief that God is good, when we lose our belief that God is in control irrespective of what the circumstances might suggest, when we lose our belief that God is strong and that He cares, when we grab for some world-centered alternative for our future assurances, when we grab for some world-oriented centered alternative for our future assurances, when we grab for world-centered alternatives for future assurances, and when we grab for quick escapes from reality, we end up falling apart just like the buildings. We end up falling into the ground just like the earthquakes. We end up on a downward trajectory with the deteriorating world that's falling apart. We go down with the ship when we lose our faith. The quick fixes and grabs of this world lead to deeper losses in your life. The one who stands firm in the faith, in the storm, is saved. It is in your very best interest to stand firm, to keep the faith, to hold fast to what you've come to know no matter what. Are you with me? You've got to decide now. You've got to decide before the storm what you believe. What you will never, ever, ever let go of. You've got to decide now, even when the storm of doubt comes. Even when the, the questions that will cause you to think about God in ways that uh, you know are not true, when the, when the questions have come and the doubt comes, even in those storms, we have got to determine in advance of the storm, in advance of the doubt, what is true, what we will not depart from. 
The way we live in this world is not that complicated. We have principles that we live by. We have practices that come out of those principles. And we have places that reinforce those practices and those principles. I've used this metaphor before. You may have a principle, and I hope you do, of personal physical hygiene. That you want to be clean and good-smelling person. It's great if you have that belief, and you should have that belief. But if you don't have practices that reinforce that belief, what good are they? What James says, right, tells us, faith without works, it's just a good idea. But if you develop practices associated with hygiene, like brushing your teeth, like washing your body, we've made some progress now. And if you go one step further, you will create a place to do it. It's one thing to put your hands under a faucet, throw water up on your back, or grab a rag and try to wipe your teeth off. But if you build the structures, like a bathtub and a bathroom, and a shower stall, and a toothbrush, even better. Faith in God is the same way. We have what we believe. We know what is true. But we have practices that reinforce those truths, and we have places and spaces that we go that reinforce the practices, that reinforce the principles. Stand firm means to revisit and recommit regularly to what you have determined to be true. It is the very reason we sing and we preach on Sunday morning. We are reinforcing what is true about God. It's why we memorize verses. It's why we write verses on cards and put them on our dashboard and on our mirrors. It's why we bookmark sermons and it's why we read things about God and highlight the book so that we can go back to what is true. And we build the associated practices. It's why we have daily devotionals. It's why we do church every week. It's why we text our friends and encourage them in things of God. It's why we recite historic creeds. Be committed as often as you can. More often than you think is necessary to devote yourself to the things that are true. Practice the associated things that reinforce and build out those beliefs and go to the good places and spaces where you personally and most deeply enjoy the presence of God. It's different for everybody. For you, it might be creation. For you, it might be a cathedral. There are places. We are designed this way. As a person, you are uh, a person of values and principles. You are a person of practice. And you are a place. You are a physical place. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. They are part. You are part of a faith journey. The storm is the beginning not the end. When you stand firm, you will be transformed 
in ways that the world cannot change you. Jesus goes on to say, a time will come if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah. Look, there He is. Do not believe it. Jesus has made the final word. There are no new solutions. There are no new problems for the eternal issues of our life. There need be no more Messiah. And someone comes and says, this is the, this is the truth. We say, no, no, no. We have the truth. There is no more truth. The truth of Jesus is the truth. All sorts of persuasive people will claim and do claim to have special knowledge about the solutions of this world. But they will not be faith-based. They will not be God-centered. They will not be solutions that include humility, repentance, sacrifice, and forgiveness. The solutions will be rooted in power and resources. And they will include promises to you to rise above and out of the storm. That's the key difference of the lie of the Messiah of this world, whoever or she or he is. They will promise to take you out of the storm. And we know that is not the way to the new thing. And the extent of the solutions that come from the people and the persuasive leaders of this world will be solutions that are confined to making this world a better place. Even if they work, the solutions that Jesus provides go beyond this world. This is how you know a false prophet, a false messiah. It's a power-rooted thing. The promises will will uh, uh, implore you to get out of the storm and there will be no eternal aspect to it. And Jesus warns us that some of those who will be pressing these deceptions and these lies will be parts and parts and pieces of the church itself. And then Jesus wraps all this wonderful, beautiful symbology here up for these guys who just are still going <laughs> when he says in those days following that distress following that storm the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken jesus said this storm is going to come it is going to be uh, unavoidable it will be worldwide and then the lights are going to go out it's just going to get dark and probably, if I were to guess, eerily silent. And the disciples <laughs> say, so, next week? Or... You're the Messiah, right? You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. That's what you've been telling us. That you have come to rescue the world. Okay, quick question. What exactly are you sparing us from? What are you saving us from? You're, you're telling us that all this is going to happen. It's going to become personal. That my brother might kill me. My father might kill me. My child might kill me. The church is going to try to deceive me among other things. 
What are you saving us from? This sounds horrible. The disciples are going to eventually understand that Jesus isn't intent on saving us from something. Jesus is intent on saving us for something. He's telling us the storm is going to come and you're going to go through it. I'm not going to spare you from the cosmic storm of the end of, the, of all things, the beginning of the new thing. I'm not even going to spare you necessarily from the storms of this life, but I am going to save you and rescue you for something. In the middle of this entire description of what is going to come to pass at some point in the future, we have verse 10. Right in the middle. Theologians call this a Markian sandwich. Mark always says something and then says something and he has something sandwiched in the middle. Can look for it. And the gospel, Jesus says, must be preached to all nations. This is what you're being saved for. Is in the midst of your storm, their storm, and the storm you have a role as a messenger, as an ambassador. I have come, I've brought a message, the gospel, the good news about humanity with respect to God, and now it is yours. And that message has transformed your life in a way that people need to know about, they need to hear, they need to see. You, disciples, are the continuation of me in the world. You, church, you, Vista Church, the believers in Christ are the continuation of Jesus in the world. You, you, we are the eye of the storm. We are the calm. We are the peace. We are the home, the space that the world needs to experience in the midst of the chaos. Right here in the middle of all this doom and gloom is the call the challenge, the commissioning to be salt and light. And Jesus said that to the least likely people to carry that out. Those that had marginalized, those that had deficiencies, he was telling them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. You are the gospel message in the midst of the storm. How is it possible with, that people with so little means can be the message and the ambassador of the most compelling solution of history? Because to remember the gospel and to communicate the gospel isn't a promise for an exceptional life or a better world but for peace within one that's falling apart. Hope for a future redemption. So what is your contribution? What does it look like for you to answer this call and to preach the gospel, to, to speak the gospel, to uh, tell those who don't know Jesus about Jesus and the good news? What's your contribution? Do you know how to share the gospel? 
We've been taught a lot of mechanics over this, the course of the historic church in America. We can do a lot of splaining. We can, we can talk about what sacrificial atonement is, which is a very important thing that at some point is important for believers to understand. Our gospel presentations have also uh, slipped at times in the direction of making promises to people that we cannot keep. It is not the gospel message to say, hey, I know your life's upside down, and if you come to church, if you come to Jesus, if you trust God, your life will get better. You can't read Mark chapter 13 and tell somebody that in good faith. Jesus tells us time and again, and his disciples reiterate it time and time again, when you become a Christian, your life becomes a trial. It becomes trouble. You get flogged. To invite somebody to come to Christ so that their worldly life will get better is a false promise. It seems like the most compelling way to get someone to come to church. But what we misunderstand in that sort of a gospel presentation is what a person really needs. When we offer that as a solution, I'm not sure we understand the gospel. If we think the gospel is my life will get better, we don't understand what we're really, what God, Jesus is really providing. That there is, a, there is an opportunity for a peace that passes understanding, a joy that is deeper than anything can be described. That in the midst of the storm, the gospel message is, it's okay. God is in control. I am assured of my future with Him. Do you know how badly the world needs to know that there is a place that they can go? There is a relationship that they can have. There is a family that can provide a place of peace and warmth and acceptance where they are enough and that they have the knowledge that the storm will not stamp out your life. It's the beginning. People need that place. They need that gospel presentation. Let me encourage you to include some things in your speaking about the gospel that go beyond the mechanics and the intellectuals and the rationalizations and the apologetics of our faith, which are all very important. A few things. Make sure whenever you're talking about the gospel, that it's future-oriented. It, it looks beyond this world to a God that is invisible and eternal and lives in a heaven and a place that we can end up. Push the vision of the Gospel beyond what might happen and the blessings that you might receive in this lifetime. Don't forget, secondarily, that it is a faith-based Good news. It is neither experientially, always can be experientially uh, experienced, felt, and intellectually defended. But the root of it is neither feelings nor intellect. It is faith. When someone says to you, why do you believe that? It is okay to say, by faith, just by faith. 
I believe it. I believe it. Can you prove it? No, not really. I can give some apologetics that, that will allow you to see that the gospel and the, the words and the teachings of Jesus make sense. But the things that the gospel makes and suggests are true, we acquire that understanding and that sense of reality by faith. You cannot be shy about that. You don't need to intellectually defend your position, the truths. We can just say they're true because we believe it. That's part of the thing. Which is going to lead to the third thing. When you share the gospel and if you do it well, the response should be, well, that's foolish. We don't think that's true. We think if we got done sharing the gospel well, a person will be, oh, I get it. Okay, I'm in. But the response should be, well, that's nuts. Are you telling me that when you trust Jesus, the eternal consequences of your bad behavior are no longer in play? Yep. Well, that's crazy. That's totally irresponsible. I know. That's what Jesus did. I'm going to suffer the, the, the consequences of my sin and my, my stuff in this lifetime, for sure. But the eternal consequences of my sin, my assurance that I will be, will be uh, brought in as holy and undefiled and pure into God's presence has nothing to do with my performance. If I don't get any better at life or at, or at Christianity, when I show up at the door of heaven, Jesus is going to usher me in and God's going to be, well, look at this perfect person. The response to the gospel presentation should be, well, that's ridiculous and irresponsible. Now you know you've shared it well. It should be future-oriented. It should be faith-based. It should be foolish-sounding. It should be firmly rooted in your life. It's true. I utterly believe it's true. And even when I don't believe it's true, I believe it's true. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. When I doubt, and I have doubts, I still know it's true. That's where we live. That's the gospel presentation. God doesn't look very caring right now. I know, he doesn't. So is he? Yep. Why? Well, he is. He just is. We're firmly rooted. It should also be fully evident in your life. All the unexplainable stuff that Jesus promises, you have to possess it. Peace, joy, certainty. If you don't have what Jesus has promised to give, then please don't share the gospel. You can't. If it's not good news to you, if it hasn't changed you, if it's not transforming you, what are you selling? It must be fully evident. And I'll tell you a minute how it can become more fully evident to you. It must be true in your life. In the midst of the storm, you cannot be shaken. Jesus says, whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. When it's time for you to share the gospel, you need to understand that it comes from the power of the Spirit. Now what this verse is not saying is that you're going to become an automatron. That the Spirit's going to take control of your brain and your mouth and you're just going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm saying things I've never even thought about. I'm just... They're just coming out of my mouth. This is amazing. It's so articulate and wonderful. No, that's not what's going to happen. 
Paul picked up on what Jesus said here in his letter to the Corinthians when he said, no one that is speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now you and I both know, and it's even in Scripture, people can actually say the words Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. They can literally say those words. That's not what's being suggested here. What we're saying is you can't, it actually can't be true in your life that Jesus is Lord. You can't say that. You can't say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God because it's crazy. It is irrational at times. What Jesus says is true about me and my future makes very little sense and to embrace Jesus means staying in the storm. Laying down your life. Giving away what you have earned. You cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit because it goes against every natural inclination in your life. Following Jesus is to go upstream. And you can't do it. You can't go where Jesus asked you to go. You can't be who Jesus asked you to be. You can't do what Jesus asked you to do apart from the Spirit of God. It makes no natural sense. So what does that mean when Jesus says, when you are asked, when you are called upon to witness, do what empowers you by Spirit? Is everything that I just talked about. It doesn't mean have a flowery speech ready. Expect to be an amazing apologetic. It means to speak from the depth of what the Holy Spirit has made true in your life. There is a God. There is a Son of God. He did the work so that I might be forgiven. And that is where my faith is. It may sound foolish, but it's true. I firmly believe it. I hope it's fully evident in my life. And I cannot do or be anything like that apart from the Spirit. What Jesus is saying when it comes to communicating the Gospel, communicate what is true that is beyond understanding, that is beyond doing apart from a move of the Spirit. Just talk about that. Finally, Jesus says, God's going to return some form in the future. Don't let him find you sleeping. Jesus says, when I say to you, I say it to everyone. What Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's saying to you and he's saying to me, watch. Watch for him to come. There's a big, big cosmic storm coming somewhere in the future. Could be next week, could be a thousand years. It's the beginning of something new. We need to be ready for that. The best way to be ready for that big storm is to be ready for the small storms in the meantime. Always be ready for the unexpected storm and the unexpected gospel opportunity to provide peace in the middle of that storm for those in your sphere of influence. We are failing our responsibilities. We are not stepping up to the call unless we steward the time that we have and watch for him to show up 
in the storms of life, particularly within those within our spheres of influence. This is why we have lists of 10 people on our blessed 10 list. We are praying for people that are far from God so that when the storm comes, they will be on our minds. They will have been in our prayers and we will be in their space because we've listened to them and we've eaten with them and we've served them. Bless. And then we'll have this opportunity to tell this story in the midst of their storm. You start by being there yourself. Remember what I said about my childhood? No matter what happened, I could always go home where I was validated, where I was told what was true, where it was explained to me how I was enough. Always be home. Always be in the presence of God. Always be being reminded of what is true. Enjoy His presence every day, throughout the day. You must be in a place of presence and warmth and light and truth in order to be that in the world. One of the most important exercises is presence is one of the simplest. Remind yourself He's there. There's nothing super spiritual about that. It's just a practice. Remind yourself of the truth of His presence as often as you can, every day, every hour. That will increase the power of His presence in your life. Imagine yourself alone with Jesus in a place where your spirit and His freely commune. It can be anywhere, beach, hillside, a living room. Ask Him to inspire your thoughts. Fill your heart with Himself. Picture His face. Be with Him. When I was a kid, no matter what came my way, I knew the warmth and the strength that awaited me at home. Jesus assures us that with his help, an eternal home of warmth and strength is available to you now. Be there, and you will be saved now and forever. And you will bring that same warmth to others. God, help us drive these truths deep into our hearts. Allow us, when we sing, for the transaction of your truth in the, in the songs to penetrate our hearts and to land. God, help us to be filled with your spirit and filled with your truth to be the eye of the storm in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.